Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special episode of the War Porn Podcast, where as opposed to doing the thing that we made up for our namesake, is we're just going to talk about stuff. And this week, we decided to talk about depression and also ADHD, because I have it and I get off task. We ended up talking for about four hours about depression, which we decided was too long for one episode, so we're going to split it into two. This is going to be part one where we talk about our history with depression and and how it's interacted with our various life journeys, as well as me being neurodiverse and and how it interacted with my war trauma, as well as uh, both Gene and I got into some of our family histories and some generational trauma. So I hope you guys stay tuned. There's also a lot of goofs and gaffs, so that that it isn't too sad. I would like to say before we start, a big thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. There's a there's 30 of you now. Oh my gosh, we didn't expect this much this fast. So thank you so much. Your support has allowed us to be able to hire an editor, which is huge because I, I loathe doing it. As you will discover throughout the episode where I scream at Gene for making it harder for me to do my job. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the Patreon, it is Patreon backslash Warporn. Uh, we would love to have any amount of uh, donation that you guys feel like giving us, but please don't feel like you have to if you don't have the means. For those who have already signed up for the Patreon, or anyone who's thinking about doing it, we are going to be releasing, probably this week, the Mad Max episode that our editor just finished. So look forward to that, uh, and I think that takes care of all the housekeeping notes. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of The Big Sad. Do 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 This is the theme song. War porn. War porn song. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Hey. To another episode of the War Porn Podcast. What up? As always, <laughs> it's starting off just so good. So such a smooth intro. It's always smooth. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed the terrible theme song, but I'm definitely going to put into this one too. Oh, it's great. I love it. <laughs> as always i am gene meyer clinical therapist and i'm patrick lawler uh disabled veteran the joke is that we said <laughs> each yeah, other's we, yeah yeah oh yeah. my gosh how yeah, funny that how funny. funny that that was funny. it's a very special episode of Ooh, yeah. the war porn podcast Ooh, yeah. where we usually take a look at popular movies to see what they say about war and the military and such mm-hmm. as gene Always likes to say with our brilliant <laughs> motto that is always good, that much like porn, it's inherently problematic, but we can't stop watching. It's a great, it's a great. That, yeah, that put that on a button. It's a tagline <laughs> for the ages. <laughs> Any whoozles. We are here to talk about depression today. Oh yeah, the big D. The big D. <laughs> That's oh, not yeah. what people call it. No. <laughs> I call it the big sads on TikTok. The big sads. They don't yeah. like when you say depression. Yeah. And we're going to find out if they don't like it on a live yeah. because we currently are. Yeah. Does anyone like depression though? Does any, um yeah, the the cheese industry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is that where you eat always eating those grilled cheeses? For whatever reason, when I get sad, <laughs> yep. cheese is my go-to. Dude, it's the best. Is there? There's probably a reason behind that. Oh yeah, some like phys- physiological. I'm sure there's something in cheese that is like drawing me. Well, it's it's fr- it's derived from cow's milk, 
And, you know, uh, and everyone is, knows cows are made of joy. Yeah, made of pure joy. Which is why we eat them. Yes. Have you ever seen a cow frolic? No. It's like the cutest thing. They like do like little, they like jump from their back hooves to their front hooves. It kind of, you ever see like a bull trying to shake someone off? Like yeah, a bull rider? Like in, Imagine yeah. that, but because they're happy. Okay. I, all right. I, I, most cows I see are not very mobile. They're just sort of like sitting there chewing. I, I can't imagine it frolicking. But. Well, they do frolic, which is why I don't eat them anymore. Because okay. they're just big, big happy dogs. Yeah. Uh, this episode, we're going to be diving into uh, the topic of mental health and depression. Big Specifically, uh, I guess I'll talk about mine and then yep. you could talk about yours. And yep. we can talk about it from a therapeutic standpoint. Booyah, baby. Oh my gosh. So many angles that we'll cover. Yeah. And then, so it isn't just sad all the time. We got some questions from our patrons. Yeah, baby. That we're gonna we're gonna sprinkle throughout, and I think we're gonna do episodes like this more often. Yeah, because it, uh, it you know we love movies. We sure do, and uh, we're gonna keep doing that too. But uh, you know, I think from time to time, it's important to talk about these things. I agree. How do you want to start? That's a that's a. Do you want to sing the depression song? What what is that? Here we go. I'm so sad <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Ooh, movies. Yeah, yeah. That's my song. You sent me a couple weeks ago. You sent me a photo. <laughs> it was like 4 a.m. You had your bangs in the front, and it just said, um, "What?" It was. I'm so sorry. It was it was lyrics from the Blink One Eighty Two song "Miss You." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember that? I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, you probably don't know this song. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I worked at a Hot Topic. Okay, so why don't we chill on that shit? That's where you want to start. You want to start with a four a.m. funny text. All right. Okay. So, so what depression is is when Pat sends a text <laughs> yes. to Gene at four a.m. That's the 4 a.m. texts are almost exclusively the domain of the depressed. There's really, <laughs> it's either you're depressed or you're a drug addict. There's no, you know. Why not both? Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess like what, what Pat, what would you say is your experience with depression? When did you notice it st- first start to come into your life? When were you first diagnosed and... How have you dealt with it, especially in the context of this past year? Well, I think uh, my my mother would argue because she doesn't remember my childhood. But I have been diagnosed with depression since I was like 10 or so. Mm-hmm. I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was, I think, four. Something like that. Because I'm a dude. Or at least, well, I'm non-binary. But I... And presenting as a male, and it's way easier to find ADHD in boys than it is girls. Really? Yeah, you didn't know that? No, I didn't. It's, well, it, it's both a stigma thing, and uh, young girls with ADHD are better at masking the symptoms, and our society just doesn't listen to women when they go to doctors or have problems or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they see a little boy and 
uh, they're like, oh, this little boy's got a, he's, he's hyperactive and he's got a shitty attention span. Boom, ADHD. But little girls are usually, from what I understand, uh, they're a little more academically proficient. So they'll still have some of the problems with like focus and stuff, but they'll like, they're still able to excel because of the other components. I don't, I don't know why that is. Maybe young girls are just, uh, well, if I were to guess, it's because society puts higher expectation on girls to conform than it does to boys. Um, I would, if I had to guess, because I, you know, I, I can't say for sure either, but I actually think there's greater pressure on girls to not act out where boys are more free to, which is why, you know, your typical five-year-old boy can like throw plastic dinosaurs at each other and scream and run around and you know the teacher's like ah oh, well boys will be boys but if a girl does that like you know it's it's seen as oh this is this is inappropriate behavior and blah 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 sure definitely i agree with that so, and as, as our chat is pointing out, a lot of women will just go undiagnosed for their entire lives. Yes. And that's for both uh, ADHD, the autism spectrum, all sorts of things. And when I was a paramedic, we would have, we had to do extra work because women will often not show signs of like having a heart attack while they're in the midst of having <laughs> a heart attack. Really? Yeah. They, I, for, it's called like the silent MI or, or something to that. Women, one, women have a higher pain tolerance than men. So, like, they'll just not notice that yeah. they're having a heart attack, and their bodies just don't present in the same atypical, like, oh, my chest, and oh, my left arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene is trying to quietly, quietly open eat a Kit Kat while you talk about women. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry. He, like, put it under the pillow because he <laughs> thought it would block the sound. Come on, absolutely dude. Absolutely won't. Dude, I was like... <laughs> You know what? Like, I, I'm I'm being real to me. I wanted to eat this Kit Kat. I was still listening to your like. I shouldn't have put ice in this cup. I feel like mm -hmm. I feel like that's definitely being picked up. I'm so sorry to our new editor. <laughs> so, anyways, so you're diagnosed with ADHD. How old are you? I so I was diagnosed. I remember being diagnosed since I was like four. Um, I didn't. I don't think I got the depression diagnosis until I was a little older. I went to a lot of therapists when I was a kid, but my problem is I have always, since I was a child, understood when someone was asking a leading question. Mm -hmm. So if somebody goes like, what would you do if you had a gun? I'm like, you're not asking that in a vacuum. You Jesus clearly Christ. are... They asked you that? Oh yeah, is that not a normal thing to ask a child? To a four-year-old? Yeah, four, five, six, I don't remember. <laughs> no! <laughs> Hey, Billy. It's like, what would you do if you had a... No, this fucking... That's... Oh, I wanted to look it up. I'm excited to say his name. Zach is going to be... Is, is editing one of our episodes. And is looking like he's going to be our, our editor. Mm -hmm. So, give, give it up. Give it up for Zach. Zach, last name redacted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I would go to a therapist. And they would, they would ask me questions like, If you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? And I was like, Hogwarts. Because I'm... I must have been like 11 because I was big into Hogwarts. And I I was the same age as Harry Potter. Yeah. 
when the books were coming out. Yeah, because... So that first book came out in, what, like, 99 or... And in the Harry Potter universe, when you turn 11, that's when you get the, like, magical... That's when they give you a gun. A, wi- <laughs> or, a wizard or, gun. A wizard gun, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're 11. Here's, yeah. here's a gun. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say that we do not support J.K. Rowling in any sense of the term. But Harry Potter was hugely influential. Oh, sure. I Well, we didn't know that she was a terrible person yeah. at the time. Yeah. So I was, I must have been like 11 or 12, and they were asking me questions like, what would you do if you had a gun? And I, I would be like, I know that you're... That's such a weird question. Well, <laughs> I also didn't want to go to therapy. And my parents were like, you have to. And throughout my childhood, if they were like, my, I remember being like, if I don't want to do a thing, I'm just going to be a dick about it. And so they, the therapists were like, this kid doesn't listen and he hates this and blah, blah, blah. And they would like try to read shit into it. And they're like, he has oppositional defiance oh, yeah. disorder and he has this and that. And it's like, you force me every mm-hmm. week to do shit I don't want to do. I had to go to CCD, which is like Catholic indoctrination oh, yeah. school. I remember that. And yeah. I didn't like that either. So to me, it wasn't like, hey, this is therapy and you go there because of this reason. It was, hey, your mom is taking you to yet another thing you don't want to be a part of where some jackass of an adult is going to talk down to you for an hour. And so I just treated them all interchangeably, Mm -hmm. which was um, like a dick. I was just, I was like, I was a smart ass. All of them. Like the the CCD teachers hated me because I was like a petulant little atheist. (laughs) I would would argue with them incessantly. I was like, well, if God's so great, why does he do this? Yeah. Which is funny because now I'm not an atheist. and But it was funny watching, like, nuns squirm as, oh, as yeah. a 12-year-old asks questions. And they would, um, oh, this is completely off task. I remember one day they were like, yeah, well, if you hate God so much, why don't you write down a list of 50 reasons? So like Martin Luther pounding oh his nail into the God. door, I wrote down, I came up with and wrote down 50 reasons why I thought religion was stupid. Wow. And then I presented them and they were so mad. Really? After, yeah, because I read all 50 to everyone. And you could tell after like the fifth or sixth, they were like, this was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. And I, and I just kept escalating and I was like, well, if it weren't for religion, it wouldn't. I was getting into like the crusades. Oh, oh, really? I did research to show why I didn't like Catholicism. Damn. That's crazy. Anyway, I still confirmed. They still yeah. made me a confirmed Catholic. Wow. You were oh, baptized. Yeah. Oh, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. I got confirmed, which is like... What's that? When you went, you you, you graduate CCD and you You get become, to eat the, the cracker. Well, you become like a full-fledged Catholic. Like an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> yeah, you like... You go up and you get anointed or whatever. And you I gave like a speech to my congregation. And then I got a bunch of... <laughs> and you're like... And this is why Luke Skywalker, much like Jesus, <laughs> blew up the Death oh, Star. And I got a bunch of <laughs> gifts from Periwinkle, which I think is a very Catholic sentence. It's like a, a weird shop that I don't know if it's still in business of like little odds and ends of like cherubic angel... Like little... Oh, uh, like the Hallmark chintzy, store? Yeah, like oh, a Hallmark okay. store, but it was called Periwinkle. And I really liked specifically they had like little towns that you could you ever see like like a christmas like a village christmas town. yo but it had like an ice rink with magnets 
And I specifically got that one for my confirmation, which I was jazzed about. I was like, fine, I'll learn about Jesus. Did you have a Christmas village growing up? Yeah. I did too. Mine was Disney. Mine was Disney's Christmas village. Oh, whoa, whoa. Too rich for my blood. I just did the regular, regular people village. Oh, we were at Disney house. We, We went to Disney like 15 times growing up. Wow. That's the only place... We went to Cape Cod a couple times because we lived in Connecticut and Cape Cod was close. And I've been to California once. But other than that, we would go to Disney World. That's like in my Florida? dad's. My dad took my mom there on their honeymoon. Wow. They took my, he took my mom there when she was pregnant with me. She took wow. my mom. He took my mom there when she was pregnant with my sister. Wow. And then we went like a le- We've been at Disney on Christmas Eve to watch the, the fireworks so that my dad could be on Main Street for Christmas. He is obsessed. Wow. That probably shaped you more than going to Afghanistan. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> My, oh, yeah. What were we talking about? The big we were talking sad. about like a... Oh, so the therapists, they gave me depression meds because they were like, this kid's depressed. What meds did they give you? I don't, I think I was on Prozac. Okay. I don't remember. I know I was like the poster child for ADD. So I was on like Ritalin for a while. Then I was on Concerta. Concerta's ADD, right? Yeah, or is yeah, that depression? Yeah. yeah. No, Concerta. I was on. I, I think I'm too old for Adderall. I think Adderall. Really? Well, when did Adderall come out? Adderall's more I mean, either, newer, isn't it? It is, but yeah. It, it. I mean, the original was Ritalin. Yeah, I've been on. I was on ADHD meds from 1992 until 2006 when I went cold turkey wow. to join the military. And wait, how old are you? I'm 32. Okay. So you're only a year older than me. Yeah. So I was born in 88. So diagnosed they had in you on ADHD meds when you were four? Something like that. That's crazy. I don't I don't remember specifically. And anytime I ask my parents, it's like my mother just doesn't have any re- recollection of like any of this, which is crazy. I'll be like, yeah, I went to therapy all the time. And she's like, I don't remember this. And I'm like, how do you not remember? Repressed. Repression. You think she's repressing the memories of me going? I know that my mom specifically blames herself, which is weird because like, if anything, (laughs) this is from my dad. Yeah. (laughs) Although my cousins are on the spectrum. My uncle has ADHD. My dad definitely has something going on. It's definitely genetic. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not the only one in my family Mm -hmm. who has neurodiversity. Well, so the thing about, uh, and we can get into it, the thing about ADD and ADHD diagnoses is most children can be diagnosed with ADD or ADHD at one point because most children are pretty hyped or have difficulty concentrating. But it's when those effects stay with you through adulthood because most people tend to like grow out of it, but it's when those, when that inability to focus lingers with you to adulthood, that's when, you know, that's for me, that means like, okay, you do have symptoms of ADHD and ADD. I personally believe, but I, I and I'm not saying kids can't have it, but it, you know, and, and we learned in grad school all about <laughs> these things called pharmaceutical companies who are, they love to widen the goalposts. So that they can, you know, shell out these medications to people um, who might not even really need them to begin with. But I'm not surprised to hear that. I know that there was a lot of... Is that still happening? Or is it more over-medicated before? Oh, yeah. We learned about um, this one company. Do you remember a few years ago hearing about the female Viagra pill? 
Mm-mm. It was like four or five years ago, and they found that the side effect of this antidepressant was. Are you are you good? <laughs> was I'm trying to drink this is monster quietly and it's going Dude, terribly. Why do you need ice in your monster? Because it was warm. You need a cold. You need watered down. Tailings? I have sensory issues. <laughs> you have ADHD. I know. Most people get diagnosed with it. It's, I know. I do. You are it's, the worst. I know. <laughs> Because I'll start talking and you're like, you know what? Let me put this piano in the microwave while I like jungle gym across my kitchen while doing this jigsaw puzzle. But it's okay, Gene. I'm still listening. What were you saying? If I'm not fidgeting, I'm not listening. If I'm not constantly fidgeting, I'm... Bro. Listen, here are the modes. It's it's fidget, 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 and I'll listen to you. Or I'll, in my head, be like, you gotta listen. You have to listen to what he's saying so you can respond. If you don't listen to what he says, you're not gonna be like, oh, fuck, he stopped talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say there was an episode we did a couple weeks ago where every time I started talking, you would stand up and look (laughs) at the TikTok live. And I was just like, I felt like the biggest asshole in the world because do you know what it's like when you're when someone's like hey i really want to hear your opinion on this and then immediately they just stand up and walk away from you (laughs) but knowing you now knowing how you operate blah 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 i don't take it personally but whoo yeah so anyways long story short these pharmaceutical companies like they had this female viagra which was an antidepressant that they noticed one of the side effects was increased female sexual drive so they conjured up through marketing, oh, uh, female sexual um, disorder. And then they went on, you know, The View and this. And, and I can tell you're trying to not fidget. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> I... <laughs> but I'm going to finish this fucking story, damn it. <laughs> if I'm not talking, I'm bored. <laughs> Long story short, they made up a disease because they, they had some pills they were trying to shill. And they are... Some of the most evil people, like when Bernie talks about the keeping the pharmaceutical company. You said pharmaceuticals. I know. <laughs> I mean, look at OxyContin. You get a, you get a, I have. you get a boo boo, and they're like, okay, here's just a bottle of opiates. Good I, luck. I am. I feel like we're getting off task, but I used to get uh, Ultram or or what's it called, Tramadol from the VA because it's a slightly less of a, it's not a narcotic, it's a narcotic, it's a th- synthetic narcotic. It still sort of binds to your opiate receptors, but it's not as mm-hmm. full blown. It's yeah. not derived from an, it's not as like addictive. It's still addictive and it's still technically affecting you, but it's like a step down. And I found that really helpful for my back pain and yeah. also for my depression. Like I went to my doctor and I was like, hey, I have this tramadol. I take it for my back pain. But some days when I'm feeling really, really depressed, I'll take one and I'll feel better. And my doctor went, that works for you? And I went, (laughs) yeah. And I went, yeah. Should I stop? And she went, no. Just don't abuse it. And I went, cool. I won't. And I would use one bottle. They would give me like three refills in a month and I would use one in a year. Uh, And I would go back and be like, hey, I need another bottle of, of tramadol. And they stopped giving it to me. Really? And they're like, yeah, a lot of people are abusing narcotics, so we can't give it to you anymore. And I'm like, but you know that I was 
doesn't. You can go into your pharmacy and see how many I've taken. You gave, they literally were like, here's 5,000 pills a year and I've taken a hundred. And they're like, well, we don't want you to abuse it. And I'm like, how could I be more obviously not? I, I don't know, Patrick. I mean, like, maybe they're just trying to cover their own ass. They are trying to cover their own ass. But now people who are using it the correct way are punished. Are being punished because yeah. other people... And I'm not blaming the people who are addicted yeah, yeah. To, to narcotics because addiction is a disease and the VA shoving it down everybody's throats. Or rather, the pharmaceutical industry yeah. shoving it down America's throats is the real problem. But the... As always... The knee-jerk reaction mm -hmm. hurts the people yeah. who need it the most. Just exactly. like, oh, too many people are abusing welfare. Better, yeah, better yeah. take it from everybody. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, we were, okay, so we were, we're talking, talking about pharmaceuticals. ADD. So, I've, I was on depression meds. I remember in the mornings I would take an upper, and at night I would take another pill. And I remember being a kid and just sitting in my basement and being like, I am so sad. Like, crushingly, painfully sad. And I would go to my parents and be like, I'm like, really sad. And they'd be like, why? Like, I don't know. And they're like, okay, well, did you take your meds? Yeah. And, and like, uh, even now to this day, like yesterday I was, uh, my dad called me for Thanksgiving uh, to talk to me about what I wanted for Christmas. And I answered, I was laying in bed and I hadn't gotten out of bed all day. And he called me and I was like, oh. He's like, are you just waking up? And I'm like, no, I'm just in bed. <laughs> He's like, why? I'm like, I'm depressed. He's like, what are you depressed about? And I was like, well, there's a deadly pandemic. Yeah. I can't come home for Thanksgiving. I've been alone for years. Every one of my relationships has ended in disaster. I have severe PTSD from a war that I fought in that I have complicated feelings about. I My TikTok views are down. <laughs> yes, that's at the heart of which it. Which is really the heart <laughs> yes. of all of this. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, whoa, okay. It's like, whoa, your TikTok views are down? Damn. And, then he, and he, he almost was one of those like, oops, shouldn't have asked. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, also, I haven't seen the sun in like yeah. three weeks. Really? Well, I, my depressed, like, because of my ADHD, I have delayed onset sleep syndrome. Oh, yeah. So, I don't get tired when a normal person would get tired. So, I've always been a night owl. And mm. then I specifically got attacked when we were overseas. We would get attacked at night or we would get attacked in the twilight hours. So, that's, like, when I get really wired and anxious. And then around, like, for me, the big problem is right around 2 or 3 a.m., I get a huge burst of dopamine and serotonin and I'm in a great mood for like four hours. And it's the only part of the day that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to it all day. And then when I'm in, when I'm in it, I'm like, oh, this feels, I love this. Yeah. I don't want it to end. And then of course it does because the sun will start to rise. And then that, I actually lately have been like going on morning walks so I can kind of absorb some sunlight and mm -hmm. vitamin D before I go to bed. Because when I wake up, it'll be dark. Yes. But that's, uh, it, you know, all of my symptoms, all of my conditions make it so I'm an insomniac. And I just am tired of fighting it. Yeah. So you've accepted that about yourself. Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the alternative? I'm going to go lay in bed and just be pissed that I can't sleep. <laughs> but, uh, I've tried that. It's a shitty approach. It doesn't work. I'm just like, ugh. I uh, or I'll be like, Ugh, why can't I sleep? What's wrong with me? I should be better. I know better. So you've like you've sort of 
accepted certain things about your de- depressive disorder. Sure. Um, so I want to go back to you were talking about you were like, let's say, like an early teen, and you'd be like, I'm just sitting in the basement, and I'm just soul-crushingly sad right now. I remember specifically one of them bringing the Disney back around. It was, I was just sad we hadn't been to Disney as a family in a while, and I was like, what if we'll never get to go again? Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, that a weird thing to... Oh, wow, Cheat, I'm so sorry. I'm, no, I'm you so know what? I'm so sorry that, was, that I want... That came across... <laughs> so then how did... How, so you... you it sounds like yeah, you struggle with the big depression and some some ADHD, and then you're like, you know what'll fix this? <laughs> Going to war. I I'll tell you what, it kind of did. What? First of all, what did your depression and ADHD did they factor in at all to your decision to join the military? Uh, stop being quiet at the end of sentences. I'm. S- did your depression and your ADD factor in at all? I'm so excited to fix this in the edit later. <laughs> Future Pat here. I was right. This is frustrating to edit. Thanks, Gene. Just just speak at a normal level. Oh, right. You can see can... on the waveform how loud you're talking. See, this is the range we want to be in. Medium waveforms. Wow. But if you talk... Like this, Gene. Why are you voice shaming me right now? Because I have to edit this later. Because Kevin's busy. Zach has to edit it. His name is not Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even know his name. I'm so sorry. You don't even know his name. He's 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 working away for hours in his basement somewhere, and you're just like Kevin. Why do you? I call everyone Kevin. Why do you assume Kevin Zach is living in a basement? Why do you assume Zach Kevin? Because he, he that's the only place you edit podcasts. Is I basement. edit mine in my my Brooklyn your dungeon. In your, my second yeah, floor. Yeah. Well, okay. When you're editing that podcast, your room becomes a basement. It's always a basement. Yeah. Gosh, we got off track. <laughs> what were we talking about? The, the, oh, how quiet you are. Yeah. No, before that. We were talking about how your depression and your inability to concentrate <laughs> Like, did they even screen? Do they even screen you for that when you joined the army? No, because then they wouldn't get anyone. Yeah, literally. So <laughs> I was in the car with my recruiter, and we were driving to the MEPS Military Entrance Processing System, or I don't know. I think that's the acronym. MEPS. MEPS Military Entrance. Everything in the in the military has acronyms, and we just sound them out. Like we had our ACH combat helmet, and we had our uh, our kit was called our oh fuck what was it? Oh, I don't even remember. Um, and then everything is an acronym, like, uh, BOLO meant be on the lookout for. Oh, really? Not like the BOLO tie? No. Like, say every, everything, <laughs> or like you'd have your SIT rep, which is situational report, although I don't think that's technically an acronym because it's just two words shortened. <laughs> yeah, that's just a, that's a brief. Or you had your like, um, why can't I think of any of the acronyms? Well, I guess I've been out of the military you have the, for like 10 the years. the YMCA yeah, <laughs> that was part of the military. It sure was. So anyways, so you're on your way to the MEPS. So we're on the way to MEPS, and we're sitting in the car, and I go, he goes, listen, don't tell them all that stuff you told me about going to therapy and having ADHD and any of that. Don't don't tell them any of that. And I was like, <laughs> why not? And he's like, because they won't, they won't take you. Oh, God. So just lie. And I was like, isn't it illegal to lie? And he's like, yeah, but they're not going to catch you. <laughs> And, and I was like, won't I get in trouble? He's like, no, once you're in, it's pretty hard to kick you out. Wow. Which is the truth. 
I knew a guy, I think we've, I think I've mentioned this before. There was a guy in my basic training that was completely blind in one eye. Oh, yeah, yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. not allowed to be. Yeah, yeah. But once he was in, they were He's like, in? Oh, you're, you're in. in. Wow. So I, there's a lot of people in the military with ADHD on the spectrum. You just lie and you yeah. get, you get, you know. Well, I, I think, you know, personally, I think those two uh, disorders aren't, wouldn't necessarily make you a bad soldier. I think in some ways they could even maybe make you a better soldier. I think that my ADHD makes me a better medic. Why? Medics, one of the biggest problems medics have is something called, um, uh, uh-oh, words. Meps? No, it's when you get, like, stuck on a particular detail <clears throat> and you ignore everything else. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Medics sometimes will get tunnel vision where they'll be like, oh, no, like... One of the biggest things, and I never fell for this, is gut injuries are scary, and there's almost nothing you can do about them. So they would, like, we had to go into this room, and we were doing a, a live, um, we used animals, and we, would in training, where they would bring you in, and there'd be, like, an animal that you had to fix, because you can't, obviously, use humans. And what, uh, what animal? A goat. Wow. I'm not, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I had to sign a form, being like, we didn't, like, because you could get in trouble with the military. But like, um, Navy SEALs do it all the time. We got we got the training from Navy SEALs. So wait, is you talking about it now? I don't know. What are they gonna do? Kick me out of the army? Okay, spilling military secrets here. I don't know if it's a military secret so much as a secret, something that they don't specifically want PETA to know about. Uh, it's future Pat again. I was actually so worried about whether or not I would get in trouble for sharing this little detail that I looked it up. And it turns out that it's on the Wikipedia page for combat medics. So if it is a military secret, it's a very poorly kept one. But like, lots, I mean, it's, how is it different from like working on a cadaver or, I mean, other, or, or, or dissecting a frog. You know how many frogs are killed and cats so that high school students can, can pull them apart? Yeah, that's true. Or like, whatever. Either way, we, we did a live medical lab with a goat and it had a gut injury that was very uh visceral and i was the team leader and i was like you everybody ignore that like because it's there's nothing you can do and most people get really fixated Mm -hmm. on like oh no i can see intestines but like but they're bleeding to death you gotta you gotta be you gotta be on the blood you know or like their airway you have to be cognizant of the stuff that will actually kill them and not just the stuff that looks the scariest okay like if you get shot in the face it, unless you're bleeding a lot it's not as big a deal of an injury as if you get shot in an artery in your arm so like a guy with his teeth missing and a hole in his cheek isn't as big a deal as someone maybe that doesn't present as badly and you need to be so on top of the ball where you're mm. not like oh god you got to just get that and as an adhd person i would just be like oh not a that's not the thing and i would just move on because i'm so uh my attention flits around so yeah. much that yeah. i can't even stay on one particular thing and that came in handy a lot when i was doing medicine just in general as a paramedic too was just i would never get hyper fixated on any particular detail even though like hyperfocus is a thing with ADHD people, I never found it would happen during emergency. I mean, I would hyperfocus on like the emergency at hand. Like I have to take care of this person, but I wasn't like this specific detail. Yeah. I I would be like, oh, this is happening, and that, and I'm able to hold a bunch of information in my head with a bunch of distractions happening mm-hmm. because 
everything is distracting to me always anyway. So you're used to it. Yeah. And it, and it sounds and like... the chaos of a, a medical emergency isn't that much different for me than the chaos of just being alive. Yeah. So it was just like, yeah, now everybody is at my level <laughs> of of energy. So it, it give it's definitely an added benefit for multitasking. For sure. I or at least the ability to cuz humans can't actually multitask. Humans just move their attention from one thing to another very rapidly, and I think I'm better at that in some instances than other people. Mhm. Not always, as you can tell by this conversation where I if if there's not enough going on, I'm going to lose track. But are, are are you the kind of person who can like do three different tasks at once? Only if they're interesting. But like Will you cook something while you have a movie on, on mute, and then maybe let's say you're like listening to one of our episodes and listening for parts you want to cut out or whatever? Well, when I edit our podcast, I play video games yeah. while I'm doing it. So, exactly. Yes. So yeah. So the, And I'm sure that, that helps being a medic because it's like you have one person over here, but someone else over here has an issue and blah, 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 blah. We've annoyed someone in the chat by what? saying that multitasking doesn't exist. They said, say that to mothers. <laughs> remember if you're a mother that thing that has existed since the beginning of time that without them we would have no human beings you are in some way better than every other human oh you don't think multitasking exists? oh you don't you don't think that mothers are the <laughs> so you, you hate moms this so is what you're saying moms is what you're saying <laughs> y'all ridiculous you ever drive your kids to soccer practice how dare you <laughs> How dare you use science to prove a thing about humans? What a weird hill to die on. <laughs> In the name of mothers, I deem multitasking possible. <laughs> We're just going to trash our fans one by one. We love our fans. We so, love them so much. B- buy our Patreon. Buy, yeah. <laughs> come, come donate to the, the Patreon. So, okay, so you didn't, you didn't tell them you had depression... Or the ADHD. I did not. Although they figured it out. Well, I'm... I'm Everyone I've ever been around <laughs> yeah, yeah. has immediately and figured me- it out. Oh, it was pretty... It was pretty... It was pretty... Yeah, both, both were pretty I will apparent. say, uh, and this might annoy some people, Go and I'm going to say it anyway. A lot of people think that, like, with ADHD, there's just nothing you can do. But I'll tell you what. If, if you go to military basic training... They can beat the ADHD out of you. Really? I still think I exhibit a ton of symptoms of ADHD and I still struggle with it every day. But I definitely have a mode that I can go into of like my military mode where like if a task needs to get done and I know it needs to get done, I'm able to force myself to do it because of the discipline the military like forcibly installed in me yes because the military just does not have time for you to be like i'm not paying attention today they're like oh too bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes you are so well you've never seen full metal jacket yes of course i've seen Full. oh you've seen it is it like that uh uh, different because yes and no what's it let me ask because that is a pretty good portray it's evolved from that they don't use they don't it's less insults. Like they're yeah. they're not allowed to like insult you directly as much, but they still kind of do. But they do granted, they... I haven't been to basic for ten years, so I'm sure it's very different because it's a constantly evolving brainwashing machine. But do they like get up in your face and yell at oh, you? Oh god, yeah. And what's that like as someone who 
has dealt with depression in their life. To have someone immediately be like, you are not doing a good job. You need to do a better job. Honestly, it's so ridiculous that I just sort of found it funny. Really? Yeah, because a guy coming up to you and screaming, some of them seemed genuinely frightening, but you kind of figure out quickly that there's nothing they can really do. Really? Well, they're not allowed to hit you. Yeah. And they're not allowed to shoot you. And all they're really allowed to do is yell at you more. Yeah. So you're kind of like, I want to do whatever you want so that you'll stop. Or they'll make you do push-ups or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because you're kind of like, I want to avoid that. But there's also like an inherent... Remember, I'm ADHD, so I, like, I'm neurodiverse, so I automatically think certain things are just weird and bizarre. Mm. And so a grown man screaming in my face because I didn't clean up my <laughs> space good enough, yeah. or I didn't make my bed to his satisfaction, is amusing to me at some level, and I would have to try really hard not to laugh. <laughs> because it, sometimes it's just... I mean, don't get me wrong. There were days where you're just exhausted and you're angry and they're yelling at you and you're so fucking tired of it. And you just, you, you know, you do whatever they say. But there were days where they'd come in by, All right, privates! Which one of you Neanderthals thought it was a good idea to come and toe the line? We're doing push... And you're just like, good God. So, <laughs> would you say that... And how old were you when you joined? 18. So even at that young age, you could sort of see that there was a performative aspect to it. There is also, you could tell, like some guys would come in and be like, there, we had one drill sergeant who didn't do that shit. He would sometimes yell and one time a fight started and he was like a ghost. He just appeared from like across the room completely covered the distance of the room in like half a second and ripped the two people fighting apart. And we were like, oh shit, he's a badass. And he would just calmly tell us these stories about fighting in Fallujah. And we were like, oh, you've been and done. We, we like, if you're someone who has seen, he didn't want to be a drill sergeant. They made him do it. He was like, I want to go back to my friends and the fighting. I That's what I do. They're forcing me to be here to teach you idiots how to be soldiers. And there was so much more respect for that guy mm-hmm. than for some other guy who was just yelling all the time. And you could tell, like, oh, who's this? Who, who cares? You just, you're just yelling. Like, they're, the underlying respect got us to do much more than just trying to scare us. Because that's interesting because... You know, I I saw Full Metal Jacket when I was about 15 or 16, and I just thought, you know, so you're in basic training for like a month or two? Nine weeks. And I just thought, oh man, that's got to be such hell living under hypervigilance. You're constantly terrified of some guys, get up, everyone, get It's basically like having a professional bully just boss you around you quickly figure out that if you're doing the right thing they're going to leave you alone really in the first like two or three weeks it's just you know hey everybody wake up take your shit out of your wall locker bring it downstairs now bring it back upstairs repack your wall locker for no reason yeah just to stress you out just to make it so you're not sleeping but once they start training you how to be a soldier if you wake up at the right time and shave your face and do the push-ups when they tell you, they're going to leave you alone because they want you to become an autonomous little soldier. They don't. Mm-hmm. The, the point isn't to just stress you out for nine weeks. It is in the beginning 
and then you stop fucking up in the ways. I mean, all there's always like two or three guys who are never going to learn, oh. and then you start to specifically hate them because they're going to be the reason that you have to like. Yeah. yeah everybody yeah. else showed up. Everybody else is in uniform and ready to go, except for uh, where's Johnny? Whoa, uh, private, private Johnny, and then yeah. the, and then. But they are specifically doing that because your weakest link is going to be the problem overseas mm-hmm. and during combat. So they want you to police that guy up on your own. Which we did by beating the crap out of each yeah, other. Yeah, well, just like in, in Full Metal Jacket, Private Pile, they, in the middle of the night, I mean, it's Pillow like party, yeah. And they, wham, 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 We never really did that, although we did just openly punch each other in the face. Really? A lot of, a lot of aggression. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it was so funny because it was like teenage boys where we would have like a big blowout fight and then everyone would be fine 10 Mm -hmm. minutes later because it was just so much aggression and testosterone. I was at an all-male basic training. Yeah. So it was just all men, well, I guess technically not because I'm non-binary. What now, army? Yeah. But it was all just like angry aggro dudes not sleeping and doing push-ups all day. So yeah, we fought. But there was never, it never like affected you on like a deeper level. Like where you, cause I was really sad, but that's because my girlfriend at the time wasn't writing me letters. Oh, but it, I, I'm talking about the actual experience of the training and being, you know, taught how to be soldiers and the discipline and all that. That never like kept you up at night. No. Okay. That, I liked that part. You liked it. Well, yeah, it. I mean, I I don't really understand society, and I think most of it is stupid, and I hate that everybody seems to understand the rules implicitly, and I don't. So I've my entire life had to be like, why is why are people doing that? What is what is that? What, what's happening? And then the army was like, here is how you function. This is how you talk to one another, and this is how you address one another. This is how you address someone who's a higher rank than you. Here's how you address someone who's the same rank as you. Here's how you address someone who is a subordinate to you specifically so all i have i literally they gave me a little manual like you carry around a little manual that tells you how to be a soldier so anytime i had a question about anything i would just take out my and you were allowed to take out your little manual whenever you wanted like if you were waiting in line they would be like hey take out your book and read about being a soldier and then you would be like okay cool this is how rank structure works and this is what happens when i get in trouble and this is my rights when i like i loved the specificity that the military provided because ev- and everything has a reason and it's usually a good one. Like they kind of did shit where they, every day you have to carry your, your glasses of water. You're allowed to take two glasses up and get water or soda from the machine. And you have to carry two and you have to hold them to your chest while you walk around. And they didn't explain to us why. They were just like, this is how you carry your water. And then when we got to the grenade range, they were like, you carry your grenades the way you carry your water. You pick them up, you hold them to your chest, you want to see them at all times. Because we're carrying live grenades, mm-hmm. and they were like, we have to deliver... And they, that's the worst day for a drill sergeant, is we've now given 418-year-olds two oh. live grenades each, and they're all really pissed off, and we hope that none of them... They're all pissed off and stupid. So God forbid any, any of them do anything. We're all... Oh God, the death. Oh so God. they have been beating that into us for seven or eight weeks. So by the time we get there, we know specifically what to do. And like everything in the military had some level of purpose like Mm -hmm. that. 
hey, you have to wear your, this is when and where and how you wear your hat. Specifically, it's an inch off your, you know, the brim sits here and it's this many inches off your ears and this is how you'll shape it and you wear it on the drill shed floor, you wear it, you don't wear it indoors, you wear it when you're marching around, it's your cover, you always have to be undercover because cover is important. And we called it a cover and it, it instills in you this idea of like, I need to be in cover. Right. Because when you get to combat... And you somebody starts shooting, cover. your first thought should be, I need to get to cover. Yeah. And then, so they all, they, all that stuff. It's all, there are like psychiatrists and military scientists somewhere sitting around being like, how do we better, what is a problem that we found in Iraq or Afghanistan? How can we beat that problem at the source by training our soldiers in a different way? And they would tell us that. They'd be like, we're telling, we're, everything we're making you do, we're doing for a reason. And I enjoyed that about the brainwashing. So on the first Captain America episode we did, we talked about how, you know, the military has such a, a, a it gives you an identity. Everything makes sense. Everything is with a purpose. Whereas in regular life, you feel like, why do we do this? Why is this like that? Why is this important? Blah, blah, blah. So, um, and it sounds like, you know, the training might have been... Um, good for the stuff you were struggling with because it's it, I would imagine like you know not that it's going to cure depression but it's pretty hard to be like I don't want to get out of bed when you have like a drill sergeant who's like get out of bed now go downstairs and clean this shit like not saying that you can't be miserable doing that but it it's you know you're not going to be able to like roll around in your own sadness I think the military is good at combating depression in when you are actively doing stuff because it's like you have to show up and eat chow and then you have to work out and, mm -hmm. or, or work out and then eat chow. Yeah. Like you're being forced to do physical activities. You're being forced to get up and dress and groom yourself. You're being forced to keep your area clean. You're doing all the things that a depressive person wouldn't do. Yes, exactly. And it's, I mean, like, did it cure my depression? No. Did I feel as... I was sad and miserable, but I wouldn't say I was depressed. Even at war, I was less depressed than I am now because there's just tasks that you have to do. Mm -hmm. It was more like homesick or sad or lonely or angry. There were more specific... Like, I, I find now that my depression just makes me miserable. Yes. And I don't enjoy or feel anything. But overseas, I felt all sorts of shit. And I would rather be like... Sad and angry than feel nothing. Well, so what was your experience with the the two mental health disorders you have when you were over in Afghanistan? I, well, I mean, I was miserable. I think we all were. War just sort of sucks. And I remember every day just being like tired and beaten down and furious. But I was still like playing games and writing my book and reading all the time and just like keeping busy and there were very few days that I can recall where I would just lay in bed all day being miserable even on the days where I didn't have something specifically that I needed to get done and there's weirdly a lot of downtime at war I would be watching a television show or I'd be writing my book or I'd be reading books about writing or whatever I was very productive in a way that I'm just not now 
Because for this last like week and a half, I literally have been like just like laying in bed, being like, "Ugh, <laughs> wow, oh god, everything." For the first like three or four months of COVID, I gained fifty pounds. What? And I barely moved, and I just ate cheese in bed and felt bad. I didn't watch any TV shows. I didn't play any games. I didn't read any books. I couldn't even enjoy anything. I just existed in a depressive state for months. Uh, put a pin in that because we'll get to that. So what was it like? Because I really want to touch upon the experience of um, returning home and leaving the military. Because that sounds like... That sounds you like... You don't have to yell when I... I, I <laughs> I'm trying to quietly be like, Gene, speak a little louder. We have Zach. <laughs> Zach. I don't want... He's not going to be editing this episode. He has I a am. base... Wait, oh, really? Well, yeah, because what are we going to give it to him tonight? He hasn't finished with the last one. <sighs> He's a big boy. <laughs> I guess I could... All right, um, fine. If you want to edit it... I don't want to. I'm probably going to have to. Okay. Then I'm going to talk real quiet. Oh, uh, you've been doing Dude, a great job. I love the I love using voice dynamics. To... You just have to project a little. All right. You have to stage whisper. Oh my. Pretend our God. audience is like in the back. You're speaking to the back like you got to like this is a stage whisper where I'm clearly <laughs> speaking softer but enough that you can see the goddamn wave. Patrick, I wasn't a theater kid growing up. You are literally a performer. <laughs> You're a stand-up comedian. You're a I, front man in a band. Yeah, well, if you want me to scream my questions, I can do that. <laughs> what was it like coming up from the wall? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what was it like? Oh, they want us to kiss, please. No. <laughs> That's Patreon exclusive, okay? What was it like coming home from the war? Because that sounds like when your depression really... And, and not just for you, but for a lot of people who are in the military. It's so funny because I... So I came home twice. You come home for leave and you come home for good. So I went on a two-week leave in like end of July, middle of August, I think. Where it took me like nine days to get home. From traveling from airport to airport. Mm -hmm. And then your leave time starts the day you make it to your destination. You don't have to pick America. Lots of people were like, I'm going to Guam or uh, I'm going to Russia or whatever. You're allowed to, you're basically get a free plane ticket anywhere. I chose to come home and it was like the greatest two weeks of my life. I was just like pure joy every day. Everything was awesome. I'd wake up and be like, fuck yeah, I'm in America. And then I'd play a video game and I'd have like, this is the greatest game I've ever played. And then I'd hang out with my friends and I'd be like, oh, friendship is amazing. Yeah. And I was like dating and, and I had like a couple dates and I was like, yeah. this is awesome. And I was having just the best two weeks. And I came back and then it was the hardest thing ever to like get back on a plane oh. and go back to Afghanistan knowing it was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Oh God. And then I was there for like, I don't know, a month or two or three. I must've gotten back in like September-ish. And then I think we came home in like October. So I wasn't even back in Afghanistan that long, but it was still excruciating. And then we came home for good. Uh, we flew back to Indiana where we deprocessed for like three or four days. And then they brought us back to Connecticut. And they were like, all right, you have three days where you got to show up to, to Niantic for deprocessing. But otherwise, don't drink and don't hurt yourselves. But go home and say hello to your families. And I remember I was like driving home and I was like, I've never been this sad before. 
why aren't I happy? I'm home. I'm like driving through the same places and I was just miserable. Now, unfortunately for me, and this is not anyone's fault, a, a close friend of mine's family member died. Okay. And so like I came home and then directly went to and like a funeral. A funeral. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that, and like everyone I knew was like really sad. Mm -hmm. So I like came home and people were like, oh, hey, you're back. We're all sad. <laughs> I don't know if that played into it. I kind of doubt it because everybody else I knew was horrifically sad. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just you. It was a common experience. Every single person I knew was like miserable. But some people kind of seemed to be like hiding it a little better. Maybe some people were genuinely like happy to be home. But it didn't seem that way. And we all just were like, hey, this should be better, right? And then it wasn't. I think it also sucks because, like, no one cared that we came home. It wasn't the end of World War II. There weren't parties in the streets and I'm kissing random nurses. Yeah. It was like, oh, hey, welcome back. Nothing has changed since you were gone. Or rather, like, no one, like, the world isn't different. We didn't even notice you left, really. Kinda, because you yeah. weren't around, but, you know, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And that, I think, was... So difficult for me because I had just left and done this horrific experience. And then I came home and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you did go to war, huh? <laughs> what was that like? And I was like, bad. And they're like, oh, yeah. Said, okay. Well, anyway, uh, welcome to 2010. Yeah. And then I just, you know, was a person. And everybody expected you to just like, all right, go back to work. Because and, and, I was in the National Guard. So it was like, all right, go back to work. Go be a person again. We'll see you at drill in a month and a half or whatever. Oh, so the National Guard was just like, you would have a, one weekend every month. Yeah, like a normal soldier would go to war and then come back and go back to doing active duty soldier stuff. And I went back to just be being a guy. I like got an apartment. I didn't work for like the first year because you get unemployment from the military. So nice. I just lived on unemployment and I went to school and just tried to like unpack some of the shit. I mean, I largely thought I was fine. Everybody does this thing where they're like, not me. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to be traumatized. Yeah. What did I do? And I, even, even now I'm, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but like people have seen worse. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's a way that we sort of minimize our own struggles. And a lot of people do that and, oh, you know, my trauma wasn't that bad. My mom had it way worse. But it's like, guess what? You, you still were traumatized, so. Yeah, and then we all, you know, we all drank a bunch and we, some people uh, did, did some unfortunate decision making and are no longer with us. And that was like a week, a monthly, hey, did you hear about such and such? No, what happened? Oh, they... You know, they, they had an accident. Oh. They, they were driving 90 miles an hour and a tree got in the way. And it's like, right, yeah. an accident. Yeah. Sure. Oh, oh. I, I don't, we, I think everybody, it was kind of weird because every single month we would have, we would have a, uh, a suicide stand down at drill where they were like, hey, everybody in the military is going to come together on a Sunday and we're going to have the chaplain speak about why you should look after your buddies. And we would all just like roll our eyes and be like, this isn't helping. Like you telling us that it's happening. Like we know it's happening. We know people who it's happened to. And we, you're soldiers. So you just stand there and be like, do you hear about it? such and such? Yeah, it sucks. How are you going to do it? 
Uh, really? <laughs> and we would all come up with like, what's the horrific, the most horrific, oh like as a joke, we would be like, yeah. well, how are you going to do it to hurt the most amount of people? Oh my God. And we would try to out, and like, I'm not talking like just the privates. I would like joke with like lieutenants and stuff. And like, I think I was joking with my commander once because it's so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And we all, it's something that every single one of us was thinking about. Not whether or not we're like a little part of you is like, am I going to do it? And I think this is, I, I, I mean, I'm new to the trans community, but I have to assume, I was thinking about this before I came out as non-binary trans. If you're being told you're the statistic, you think about it. Every, if, and if you know enough people in your statistic, if you, like, I know at least a couple dozen veterans that have taken their own life. So it's, it, like, whenever a therapist is like, have you ever thought about it? It'd be like, it'd be fucking weird if I didn't. Yeah. It would be so bizarre if I had this many people I know in the exact same category as me who have had the same experiences. If they're all doing it, what am I special that I, of course, I've thought about it. And and then, like, you get told every weekend, hey, you're really, you're in the group. You're, you're like, I know that the thing most likely to hurt me is me. I'm my own worst enemy at all at all times. So when I'm sitting alone, I'm just like, ooh, I'm sitting in the room with the murderer. It's like... Um, Not that I'm a murderer. I mean like the... Yeah. Because I know leftists are going to be like, ha-ha! Oh, yeah. You admitted it! I, uh, when I, when I was a patient at a rehab and when I later worked at that rehab, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but rehabs have very low success rates. It's something like under 5%. And so... At- Trying to do at the deed? Lo- long, or? No, at long-term sobriety. Oh, oh, wow, that's really low. Yeah, and so, like, we would have counselors come in and be like, there's 40 people in this room, only two of you are going to make it. What are you going to do to be one of those two people? <laughs> that's terrible. And part of me was like, oh, man, fuck that. There's no way I'm going to be one of those two people. Might as well just leave. Like, it's really... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, like, people dying i mean you know when when you work in the rehab industry you do have people people die people die and and i don't know if you experienced this but the first two or three were like really hard but then after a while it's like oh that sucks but i'm i I, i'm just kind of numb to it now oh it I I, get, I still get messages and I just don't know what to do with them. It's become like a ubiquitous part of being a veteran. Every month or so, I'm going to get a message about someone I knew who who did it. Even now, 10 years after the war, there is no... It doesn't get easier. Mm-hmm. If anything, it probably gets harder. For me, another one was like, I've talked a lot of people down. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my job as a medic. People rely on me and I'm... On one hand, so glad I could be that person for someone. I'm glad that there are people who are still around because I had the right things to say. But at the same time, that's such a a difficult thing to like process and carry around with you. And like the fear that I'll have to do it again is like, I just, I don't want to have to. That's why I'm really cautious on on my social media because I talk about mental health and I talk about 
uh, the awareness of this stuff. And people will reach out to me and they, they want me to fix them. And I'm like, I do not have the bandwidth. I am at all times contending with myself and exactly. i just don't have the i can't let's i mean i've had to call those numbers i find them unhelpful but i've called them the hotlines it's like i don't know how they do it i don't know how they no that's there's a level of uh bravery there that i i i don't have i have found... and not that i'm saying like i don't ever want my friends to reach out again yeah. like of course i'd rather you call me i just i wish that we weren't in this position that they even need to. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I so I get a lot of messages from people who are like, oh, I'm really struggling with drugs. I'm really struggling with drinking. What should I do? And it, for me, it's like, it's what mood I'm in. If I'm like, if I'm like, wow, I, I feel like I'm in a really good place that I can give some helpful information. I do. If I'm not, I don't respond. And then... I think there's a difference between your friend reaching out, someone you know, and being like, I need help. Because that, I'm almost like 24 hours a day, I will respond. But it's when people, like random people are just like, hey, I know you have this thing and my friend's cousin is dealing with this. Do you have any advice? And it's like, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I can give you general tips, but... It's dr- it's very draining too, and then like I I don't know I I have to like we have to take care of ourselves. the The metaphor I always use is when you're on a plane and the airbags let out or the gas mask. <laughs> the plane's airbags. The plane's airbags. <laughs> they always say to put on your mask first before you try to help someone else. I uh, I agree. And it's, it's also, there's, I don't, I don't think people understand like how much trauma that is if you fail. Oh yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to take that on for every human being. That's like an, what, that's like the Superman complex of like, he can hear everything bad that's happening and he can do so much, but that means he can never take a break. Yeah. And like, I... I'm barely functioning. Mm-hmm. So I can't be, you know, I'm a human being. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that like therapists are human beings and everyone who's in a position to help you is also a flawed human being, which is why my biggest advice ever when it comes to depression or PTSD or being a veteran or being trans or any of these things is that you have to become an advocate for yourself above all else. I didn't get anywhere with the VA Asking other people for help. I walked into a room once for the guy whose job it was to help me keep my house. And I was like, hey man, how do I keep my house? And he was sitting there in like the back room of a VA eating like a hungry man dinner. (laughs) And he looked at me and he went, you're not going to keep your house. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is the guy that's supposed to help me. So I went online and just learned everything there was to know about the VA and how it handled my paperwork. I caught shit before it happened. Like I was reading and I was like, I found someone there like, they're going to deny your claim if you don't have this specific piece of paper that you signed. And I knew I hadn't signed that piece of paper. So I printed it out and I filled it out and I went to the VA and I was like, give me my file. Put this piece of paper in my file. And they were like, sir, this is very unorthodox. I was like, I don't give a fuck. You put the paper in my file. And then they did. And then I didn't get denied because I, I, you know, 
I advocated for myself. So, okay, let me ask you a question. Because I I love what I'm hearing. Self-advocacy. Huge fan. How can you apply that to your depression? Well, and and what would be the pros and cons of applying that to your struggle with depression? Well, for my depression, I I no longer try to fix it. Like I used to get depressed and then I would try to, for one thing, I would usually put the onus on whoever I was dating. I'd be like, I'm depressed, fix me. Mm -hmm. Or I would just try to find a woman to fix me, which is, I think, a classic man thing. Yes. I know I'm non-binary, but I have a a man's upbringing and my upbringing was find a good woman who will do emotional labor for you. Yeah. Which, fellas... Stop it. Don't. Stop. Oh, I'm not even in the frame. Yeah. Uh, stop it, fellas. You, you gotta do your own work. And you gotta stop pushing this off on someone you're that you love. And, f- like, so this week, and more lately, I'll be like, I'm depressed. And I used to be like, fuck. I gotta not be. I gotta do the things. And now sometimes I'll just be like, okay, what is actually happening? Why is this something I can fix? Is it I'm upset about something specific and then I'll take small steps to try to improve that? Or is this just, hey, Pat, you don't have dopamine today. Fine. And now I'm disabled. I live on disability. So I think I'm a little privileged in that I, a lot privileged in that I have my diagnosis. I have my, the money from the government. It's totally fine for me to just have a week-long panic attack and just and just ride it out. I don't got to go to work. I don't got to take care of a kid. I don't have to, like, be presentable for anybody. So this works for me. And it might not work for someone who has to, like, pull their shit together because they have a toddler who is impressionable. I don't, luckily, have that uh, wrinkle in my, in my life. But I... I try not to like, I used to like find, I've done it to you, or I'll just like unload on a friend. Oh, yeah. Where I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> everything is ruined. Dude, and... where we hung out last week, like. You said it was fine. I, it was fine. It was <laughs> fine. And it is fine. But it was like, it, it was a lot, but it was, <laughs> but you know what, though? I think. I like how you wait till we're live on a wait, podcast wait. and tell me how so, difficult so here's, here's the here's the background. Was, <laughs> I think we hung out last week. We set up the Patreon and you were in a very negative place to say the least. And we hung out for like an hour and a half and you're just like complaining about TikTok, complaining about... I am always complaining yeah, about TikTok. Complaining about the internet, complaining about... Oh, is this my career now? Blah, 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 blah. And then we went for a walk. And I thought, okay, maybe the fresh air will do you some good. And it was just like, no. And first I had to deal with the bookers. And now I have to deal with this algorithm. But then, and then as soon as I got the car to leave, you sent me a text that said, I'm sorry if I complained a lot or something like that. And here's the deal is I would rather have you be genuine 
and do that than be like, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> because you know what? We all like, I, that's the number one thing I appreciate is genuine, genuinity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Genuine. When people are, when people are real. Because wait, what's the actual word there? Gen- Genuineness. Genu. Genu. Genuity. When they're true to themselves. Because I would rather have you complain than you to be like, I I, I just really have very little tolerance for people who are bullshitting me, and so I I get it like. Yeah, and first of all, I've hung out with people who are like true Debbie Downers and that was far from that. And so I, and I appreciate that, like, that you feel comfortable enough around me to be like, I need to, there are just some things I need to complain about. And I, I like that. And then you had the self-awareness to sort of turn around and be like, okay, I know I just did a lot of complaining, but it was something I needed to do, which it, it was an act of self-advocacy. I have been trying lately where I will say to a friend, hey, I need to just bitch. (laughs) I need to unload a lot of negative emotions. Are you, can you handle that? Is this fine? Can you, can I just send you, you don't even have to read it. I just need to send you several paragraphs about how angry I am that this children's app won't show me, (laughs) won't show people my depression content. Yes. I want everyone to be sad too. Yeah. Uh, I used to just like unload on people and now I'm more like, okay. And a lot of the times I'll wake up and just be in a foul mood. And the more I recognize it, the more I'll be like, are, is this something that complaining is going to help? Or is it something that complaining is going to feed? Because I think there are two. I think sometimes you just need to be like, I'm angry about this and I want to complain and then I'll feel better when I'm done. Yeah. And that's not always the case. I, me being like, it's not fair. Anger isn't going to... A lot of the times it just makes me more mad. Well, there's there's a difference between... Because what you're talking about is... If you give yourself the space to communicate something... I think that can help you process an emotion a lot better. Like, when you wake up and you're in a bad mood... But you, but you said you'll like try to like be like... No, everything's alright. Everything's okay. Like, I'm not in a bad mood. That just makes it ten times worse. But to be able to be like, I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a bad mood. I'm having a bad day. That's fine. But then when it starts to veer into the like self-pitying, the like, why? Why does everything suck? Or everything sucks and everything is always going to suck and everything always has sucked and there's no hope. That can, you know, you can acknowledge that you're feeling like that, but that's when you start to like veer away from reality into this story you're telling yourself and that feeds the depression. I have been doing lately where if I'm in a really bad mood when I wake up, I will wake up and be like, fuck everything and everyone. I'm deleting all of my social media and I'm going to go live in a cave. And I'll go, okay, that. Or let's have coffee. Yes. (laughs) And we'll walk the dog and we'll eat something. And then if we still want to do all that, I'm on board. Exactly. And then I will get up and I'll be moving around. I've also, I have to be really cognizant of like, I used to wake up in the morning and I would roll over 
and I would check my TikTok metrics. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the number was, was the mood of which I was going into the day. Are my numbers up? I'm happy. Are my numbers down? I'm furious. And then I would use that energy to make more content. And then usually it was like a self... I mean, I'm still in this weird self-defeating spiral. But I'm not like... I I just stopped checking them because I I wasn't using them for anything. I was just getting mad. And I was like, you got to stop starting your day like this, Pat. You can't start your day... you, You haven't even put your feet on the ground and you're already like fighting an algorithm you have no control over. Just, so just don't. So okay. So I I do a similar thing. I wake up. I check my phone. I check all the apps. Now, ooh, did how many likes did this get? How many blah 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 blah. And yeah, and like he, here's the thing: is it, it can be a mood setter for the day for sure. But I think the key here is to when you're doing that, not be critical of yourself, because when when I hear you speak. I'm starting to hear this critical voice that's like, why am I so addicted to this children's app? And this shouldn't control my day and I should be worried about... And it's like, who cares? Like, it's fine. It's fine if something like this can have an effect on your mood, especially as soon as you wake up. Like, human beings are affected by... Human beings as a whole are addicted to technology. And that's... That's true. You know, because that's... One thing I'm learning is depression is, you know, sadness. Everyone has sad feelings, right? But depression is when you really, during that sad feeling, start to get very critical of yourself. That for me is huge because I I am very blunt and I will just say whatever I'm thinking. And my I have very little emotional regulation because of my ADHD. And I've also been blown up. So yeah. if I'm having an emotion, I'm going to have it hard. And so if I can feel in my head, like, if somebody says something stupid to me, I'm going to react poorly. I won't look at my comments. Because then I'm just going to snap at people for shit that normally I wouldn't have a violent reaction to. I think today is a good example. I was reading to you yeah, some comments yeah. and I was like, how dare they? Yeah. How dare they? And it's just like, they're not, it doesn't, I'm reading into it. Or I'm, my depression is taking a normal, innocuous comment and reading into the worst possible Mm -hmm. variant of that. And it's giving it teeth it doesn't have. It's like, I think a good example is when you're terrified and you're out in the woods and you're scared, a bunny hopping by becomes a bear. Exactly. Every broken twig is a monster that's going to come eat you. But instead of fear, my depression takes away my ability. I, I really like the, the term resistance. There's a guy, he wrote a book, uh, uh, Stephen Pressfield. He has a whole series, uh, The War of Art and the Artist's Journey, where oh, he yeah. talks about how every your creative impulse is always going to be buffeted by a resistance that you have to fight against your entire career. Every time you have a thought that, Ooh, I should make that. You will always have the thought of, no, I shouldn't, and here's why. And every artist has that, and every artist is fighting against this resistance always. And when I'm depressed, the resistance is winning. The resistance is so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much... And it knows more about me, and it knows exactly what to say, 
and it builds these these barriers in my mind. I've been fighting against this whole episode, this entire episode in the back of my mind. I've been worrying about something I said earlier in the episode and whether or not it'll get the goat thing. I have been literally oh, the well, whole time. We could take that out. I don't want to take it out. <laughs> right. I'm just unnecessarily worrying about like, what if, oh God, what if the military like oh. kicks down my door and is like, you told people about the goats? How dare you? Even though this is like a, a commonly known thing and I know other people, special forces people have talked about it in like publicly and nothing uh, happens. Really? Because it's not OPSEC. It's not a secret. I just signed like a thing being like, don't. Tell people so, or you'll get demoted. Bro. But I'm not in the goddamn military anymore. Yeah. They can't demote me. And a guy did talk about it on social media while we were in Afghanistan. And the only thing that happened was he got demoted. So, so like, but that's still, it's still, it's a good example because it's this fear. It's this criticism that even though I know it's not a big deal, it's building up in my head because I'm depressed and the anxiety and it's all a Venn diagram of overlapping. It's not just depression. It's like depression plus anxiety plus a fear response plus uh, just a lack of like the buoying effect of my, my who gives a fuck. Like yeah. when you feel I'm the best, like your ego. I feel like depression is like an unpleasant, maybe not ego death because it's like the opposite. It's like your ego takes over and your ego is an idiot. And it's fearful and it's... Well, maybe ego is the wrong word. Because I, I like don't... When I'm depressed, I don't feel like I'm good at anything. I'm not funny and I'm not handsome and I'm not clever or, or worth... Like, and it, it, even though... Like today you were like, well, are you gaining followers? I was like, yeah, but not as many. So it must mean... Like literally this entire month, I've been like, my career is over because I'm not getting the same views I got a month ago. And if you're not growing always, you're dying. This is it. I've had my 15 minutes. It wasn't that great. Now I'm going to be chasing <laughs> that dragon forever. That is just a, that's just a thought I've maintained all month. And so, I know it's stupid. So we've talked before about the, um, the gestalt idea of spontaneity versus anxiety. Spontaneity being like when a person feels fully in the moment and they don't overthink anything and what they do is just natural. And then anxiety is overthinking everything. And that's what it sounds like you're describing where, you know, why even do this? It's not going to work out in the end and nothing works out in the end. And I'm a failure because I didn't gain as many followers this month as I did last month. And it sounds like, and to me, I think depression anxiety and anger are all basically three sides of the same coin it's all coins have two sides gene a, a three-sided jewish coin okay <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm jewish i'm allowed to make that joke <laughs> it was literally yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Gene, you gotta tell people <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm allowed to make that joke and pat is allowed to talk about the goats all right okay <laughs> so it, it it's really I was sad about the goat. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of fucked up. I mean, they were anesthetized. They didn't feel anything. It wasn't like live screaming goats. It was oh, like God. it was like an anesthetized goat that so, we used. So goats purposes. who were high on acid. No, they were like unconscious. Oh my God, this is I can't. And then they were they were properly they were like 
humanely disposed of. And th- this is like a normal thing <laughs> that people humanely do. Humanely disposed. Yeah, of. this is not like this is a this is a common thing in like medical fields and stuff. You just murder. <laughs> yeah, well, taking care of those goats helped keep people alive. So, uh, but fuck people. And not even American <laughs> soldiers. If you're like boo soldiers, I mean like civilians. Yeah, those goats gave their lives to save human civilians. So I, I was just sad. I was sad to see. I was sad about it. I mean, I did my job, and I, I, I thought it was really good training. But I, you know, there's a part of me that was just sad. It's sad. It's sad when innocent goats have to suffer for. They did not suffer. Okay. All right. Well, people literally hunt and fish for a hobby. They murder animals. Hey, don't you dare talk for, shit on for fishing. funsies. <laughs> and I was a part of a thing in which an animal died for medical I- in training. This it's not. I'm like, I'm like, this is getting off the rails. Yeah, this is. Uh, I was about to make a really like solid point before you started defending animal murder. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a vegetarian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is the point. So, um, a huge part of life. And I've learned this recently is uh, not knowing is unknowing and uh, no one and talk about not knowing in terms of this last year, uncertainty, uncertainty around every bend. And I think people's reaction to this generally falls under depression, anxiety, addiction. And it sounds like with you, it's. It's a mixture of those first two things because it's like, you know, part of it's like, oh, what was that? My 15 minutes? Is this my career? I don't know. My videos aren't doing as well. Oh, I guess I should not leave bed for a week and a half. We sent a monkey to space. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. Try telling that to the mothers out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. The anxiety, like what? what it's tough because depression is so uh, amalgamous. It's like a hard thing to put words to. And I'm trying, like, for me, uh, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of loneliness. But really, depression for me is like all of the good parts of my personality go away and only the bad parts remain. Only the anger, the anxiety, the fear, the self-criticalness. That's always there. Always. There's never a moment in the day where I'm not being self-critical. Mm-hmm. But there are you... Like, when I'm not depressed, the part of me that loves me is so much louder than the self-critical part. Like, I'll bang out a TikTok and be like, fuck yeah. That yeah. shit's hilarious. And there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, this part could have been... I'm like, shut up! Yeah. You don't shut up, you! And then I just... <laughs> boy, that was a voice. Yeah. And then I'll just go... I'll post it and be like, hell Yeah. And then I'll just be like feeling myself and I'll hear the voice and I'll hear the anxiety and it'll be twittering away in the background. Maybe you're not good enough. And like, maybe if you leftists and maybe. So and just a combination of every piece of criticism I've ever heard is just chittering away and I just don't care. So it sounds like in those moments, you trust yourself enough to know that you can naturally create something that will connect with a lot of people. And that that sort of Although the critical voice never disappears, it's greatly diminished. And sometimes I can even like work with the voice and I'll be like, okay, obnoxious critical voice. What do you think? And it'll... And I'll be like, okay, some of that's okay. Some of that's accurate. Or like when I get a, when I'm like really centered, the two work in tandem 
where I'll be making a TikTok and I'll be like, man, this sucks. I'm not doing it. I, this isn't what I want. And I won't be like, ugh, this sucks because I suck yeah, and everything exactly. I've ever done sucks. Exactly. It'll just be like, this isn't up to my standard. I, and then I'll feel no judgment towards it. I'll yes. just restart and then I'll get something that I want and I'll be able to do it in a way that isn't like self-damaging. It won't be like, I won't be frustrated. I won't be angry. I will have like patience, I guess. And I will find that critical voice like useful and helpful. And I'm like, cool, this is what I, and like, and I, it's, Cause I'm also like, I love film criticism. I love video game criticism. I love watching and listening to criticism almost more than I like watching movies. At really? This point. Yeah. I, well, I sit on YouTube and watch people break down film more than I watch actual film nice. because I just really enjoy the process of talking about a piece of art. And that has built up a very, um, and I think in this podcast, we mostly are critical of stuff. Yeah, And I've even been saying it's kind of ruining the movies that I love because I'm letting that voice take full control. And I'm not like, yeah, shut up. I like Captain America. I'm like, okay, really though? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. about this movie is bad? Well, that's... And so that voice is every day more powerful, which is frustrating when the big sads hit. And it's like, ha-ha, you've been feeding me! <laughs> well, I think... First of all, that's a lesson I learned from comedy very early on was because I would do a joke and it would bomb and then I'd be like, I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a classic. Is, oh, that one joke wasn't funny. I've never, I, I've I, never been. I'm the biggest asshole on the face of the earth. And it really <laughs> wasn't until this past year where it's like, it, okay, it just wasn't a good joke. And that's not even true a lot of the time. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes it is a good joke. Mm -hmm. And the audience just doesn't yeah. appreciate it. Or you or you're told it's it shitty. Or, yeah. Or just nobody's at fault. Yeah. And sometimes comedy just don't work. Yes. Maybe the room's too cold. Yes. And, and you know, it's about taking that same dynamic and applying it, you know, to a lot of things in life. Like, oh, that relationship didn't really work out. But it's fine. It just wasn't meant to be. Instead of being like, it didn't work out because I'm the worst person ever and I'm unlovable. <laughs> Which I'm sure is a feeling. Guys, look forward to Bandit's Nets yeah. hit single, I Am I'm Unlovable. Un dude, that was a, the first song I ever wrote with the band was called Miserable Disgrace. <laughs> But wait, I want to go... Okay. I want to piggyback on that. The comedy, unlovable... Um, wait, what was it? The comedy... Oh. It just just because it didn't... That joke didn't work doesn't mean you're you're a bad person. Right. And then... Oh, I had Something a, about the relationship not working and you're not a bad person. Oh, I have been... A lot of my relationships end because of me. Because I'm just uh, difficult to love in uh, long term. And... Wait, time out. Is that true or is that a story you're telling yourself? Oh, uh, well, they made it pretty clear when they were breaking up with me that <laughs> the problems that they found with me or... Okay. I, eh, I mean, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, that's sort of what I'm getting at. I know that I have... I'm also, like, very selfish in relationships because I'm so selfless in a lot of other aspects of my life that I would be like, I'll give everything I have in these avenues and then I'll take from this relationship and that's not that doesn't work you got to give 
Uh, it's got to be a 50 You got to mm-hmm. try for. Yeah. I think the best relationships are when each person is trying to give 60% and, and you just don't let the other win. But Pat, that adds up to 120%. It sure does because love is special. <laughs> and I, so like I have gone into therapy, a lot of it being like, how can I be a more effective communicator? How can I let people know how, like one of the issues I have is when I love someone dearly, I will mock them incessantly because love is bad and it, it makes you're, you're uncomfortable with like I'm totally uncomfortable. I but I my love language is acts of service. So I will do and I think I got this from my mom because she's very similar. Uh, I will go to the ends of the earth to do a thing for you and then I will pretend I don't like you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Because my, my thought is like and like there's a part of me that like the joke is I just moved across the country for you and I'm pretending I don't love you. Mm-hmm. Obviously I do because yeah. I just moved across the country but like haha the joke and the girls I was with would be like could you stop? Yeah. Like could you not pretend not to love me? for this bit yeah (laughs) and so lately i like when i go to therapy i'm like i want to be more honest with my feelings and i want to be able to express joy and affection and that sort of thing and so i've been like picking apart what i did wrong so i could try to do better in the future but the problem is is then i start to build up this idea that like i have so many problems because i'm unpacking all this shit and that's how I find a problem. A lot of people, I think, they go to therapy and they think it's going to make them better. And a lot of the time, I think with therapy, and I think you could probably agree, once you start unpacking shit, you get worse. Because you're starting to see, like, for me, it's like a closet. Right now, everything is shoved into the closet and I can close the closet door and I can pretend it's not there. And you open it up and you start taking shit out of boxes and you're like, there's so much more than I thought. Mm-hmm. And now I can't close the door. And now it's always there. And I'm always thinking about it. And it's, you are getting it unpacked and eventually it'll be unpacked. But it's just, now it's all over the house. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they come to therapy, they have certain delusions or coping skills they've developed that have made whatever they're dealing with bearable and have made them functional, at least in their mind. And then when they go to therapy, it's basically like, okay, I'm I'm just going to pull back this curtain and show you like what is really going on. And that experience can be like tremendously overwhelming to the point where some people, a lot of people stop going to therapy. But you really have two options is you can either continue with this contorted system you have of like barely functioning but you're kind of always miserable and you don't know why or you can like develop the courage to really address these things and grow at a in a very painful way but ultimately at the other side of that is like liberation that's and that's been my experience going to therapy this past year was i had to confront a lot of things about the way i was raised that i had contorted in my own mind and then having these things laid bare for me was very, very painful at times to recognize. But having gone through that, I feel now more liberated than I have in my entire life. 
I enjoy when I'm in therapy and I'm like, you know how when your parents do this, the therapist is like, that is not, yeah, that is not how parents do. Well, so, okay. So (laughs) what you're describing isn't, this is exactly what (laughs) I, you know, how you fight constantly all the time. That's how you solve problems. They're like, no, 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 no. This is what I wanted to tie back to was that critical voice you have. Whose voice is that? Often my mother, which she got from her mother. Okay. There's some generational trauma here. Yes. I, I noticed that my mom, and I love my mom, and I think she's a wonderful woman. She is just like me. She, multiple times since I've moved to New York, I've had breakdowns where she has flown up, gotten me and my dog, and driven me down to South Carolina to be like, and now you can just have your breakdown down here. Which <laughs> is like an incredible, to drop what she's doing and fly and then drive. Like, some one time she drove all the way up and then drove me all the way back down. And... And then, but then she'll complain the whole way. And I had to learn that like, she's not like, she's still doing it. Yeah. She's doing it because she loves me. Well, it's literally what you just said. I know. And I get get the same thing. And And like, I, I, every time I give, I'm the same, I don't know how to receive compliments or gifts. I'm so awkward about it. And then this, I, on my Christmas, I gave my mother a wonderful gift and she just sat there mute because I don't think she knows how to. Nor do I know how to process joy because of the relationship she had with her parents, which was very antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I am trying to unravel this, like, it's okay to be happy and, like, express joy and, like, it, but it also it takes a, an amount of vulnerability, Yes. It's so much easier to be a critical dick mm-hmm. than it is to be like, oh, wow, this really makes me happy. Thank you. Yes. And I'm I'm still like on TikTok. It's so much easier for me to argue with people who don't like me mm-hmm. than it is to deal with people who do. I very rarely know what to say when someone's like, hey, I love your content. But if someone's like, hey, dickhead. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah! And then I'm, I'm in it. I'm like, oh, you want to art? I love arguing on the internet because I know how to do it and I'm good at it. Dude, I noticed uh, when the band, when I first joined the band, I noticed that I, I can get along better with people who dislike me than with people who like really like me because I feel like I'm always going to let those people down. Mm. People will be like, dude, you're so great. Like, oh man, it's so nice to meet you. And I'll just be like... <laughs> But if someone's like, oh yeah, you, I'm like, all right, let's you, go. I don't know if you've gotten to this place in comedy, but if I'm crushing and one person in the room isn't jiving, the whole set is for the one yeah. person. Yeah. I have now, I, I will notice and be like, oh, you don't like this? Yeah. I don't care if 400 people yeah. are like, this is the funniest human. I'm like, you're all dead to me. Mm-hmm. I need the one person who doesn't like me to laugh. And that person needs them to. They're never going to give it to oh, you. Oh, you're wrong. I'll, I'll get it. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're good. Come on. Oh, you, if you're good. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> get good, Gene. Oof, that's a tall order, man. <laughs> I think, what were we talking about? So, so, okay, so I want to talk, so you, you, you know, you've done a lot of work. You've identified that this critical voice is inherited from your mother. Which, and other things. And other things, of course. I don't want to put all the blame on, on, no. on my and, sweet and, mother. And see, that's one of the things that was tough for me was I recognized I inherited some things from my parents, which was painful because, you know, I always thought that they were perfect. And in, and in, 
in a lot of ways, they're like a great, amazing parents. But just because people do a good job, it doesn't mean you don't inherit some of their trauma. And I, I always blame things on my older brother, who is a dick. But, <laughs> you know. Shout out to Gene's older brother. Yeah, shout out, shout out Dan. And, uh, <laughs> and my therapist, he said, he, he had a really great point. He said, so you're... Your brother growing up, you, he would verbally and physically abuse you. And I said, absolutely. And he said, well, where do you think he learned that? And I was like, oh, shit. So, and it's it's tough because, like, we love these people. And that, it's, when I work with patients, it's easier to deal with when they have a parent who is clearly abusive. Because then it's like, okay, well, we have no problem seeing what the problem is. But when someone is, like, codependent or passive-aggressive... That's so hard to separate because sometimes they are so nice to us. And It would be a lot easier if I thought my mom was just a narcissist. If she were, because then I could just write it off. Yes. I could be, because like I grew up in a loving home with two parents who, while fought a bunch when I was younger, I mean, I think I'll, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they stayed married and they lived under the same roof and we went on family vacations and we had family dinners and like we had like a functioning middle class family so my thought was like well i i'm not a i'm not a child of divorce i'm not a child of abuse or at least not like right whatever i'm not a child of of abandonment or any of that i can still i could call my parents right now and they'd tell me that they love me they yeah. they told me they love me every day growing up i always and i still and i believe them yeah but they're still humans and they were raised by shitty parents from like my mom's a military brat from a very, a man who never dealt with his trauma mm. ever. And he, he went to his grave with it. And like, he even, even like my grandparents were critical of me and they're like, why don't you work? I'm like, cause I got blown up in the war and my grandmother revealed to me. She's like, yeah, I got blown up in the in, in England back in World War II. You don't see me crying about it. And I had to sit there and go, wait, what? And do the math. I'm like, oh, holy shit. My grandmother was alive for the bombings in London. Wow. And remembers them. And like, that is traumatic. And now I know why Nana was the way she was. Yes. Because she got blown up at six. Mm-hmm. And, the, and everyone in England was like, y'all, shit. What a voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how English y'all. people talk. Yeah, they're like, uh, carry on, stiff up a lip, and then she moved to America with an Air Force guy who moved all around the country and raised four kids on on a staff sergeant's salary in the '60s. And it's like, hey, I get it, I get why my mom is the way she is because I understand, and then I can I can infer from there what my grandparents' parents were like. Exactly, and the more. You know, I don't think if I had a kid right now, I would be perfect. I'd mess that kid up six ways to Sunday. And then they could have a podcast where they mm-hmm. talk about what a yeah, loving yeah. piece of shit yeah. I was. I, well, I, I have a very similar experience. My my mom is Polish. Her parents survived the World War II. You know, they told us stories about, you know, running out in the middle of the night and scavenging for food and seeing where all the Jews were taken to the forest and murdered and all that. And they became alcoholics and abused my mom and that affected the way she raised me and blah, blah, blah. And one of the most amazing things I learned in grad school was this idea of intergenerational trauma, which is that these things echo down 
the family tree. And in the same way that your Nana was, I mean, it's pretty fucking dramatic to get, to have to run to an air raid shelter when you're six years old. And she was like taking care of her younger sister. too. Yeah. And that affected her on a physiological level that affects the cortisol levels in your frontal brain and all that. And so clearly that's going to affect the way she raised your mom, which affected the way she raised you. And you said something interesting, though, a couple minutes ago. You said, you know, if my mom was just purely a narcissist, I could just write it off. And one thing I think... I have learned, especially in this past year, is that critical voice in your head, you you know, you can still, if by writing it off, understanding that it comes from an external source and allowing you to process it that way, I think you can still do that. Because if you look at your situation through like a lens of compassion and objectivity, And I ask all my patients to do this is like, you know, you had parents, you, it sounds like you had a neurotic mother who basically gave you this voice and, you know, you being a child who looks to your parents for guidance, for emotional support and guidance, you inherited this voice and now it has, it is part of you and in everything you do. But if you look at the situation and say, yeah, any, any person would inherit that voice if they were in that situation and start to give yourself a little bit of compassion around that so that when that critical voice comes up and you say, oh, yeah, this is just my natural response to growing up in the environment. I did. Often now I'll just go, oh, hey, mom. Yeah. Out loud. I'll just hear something. go, Oh, hey, mom. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. but but it like the key i have found to dealing with those negative voices is consciously first of all and i said this in the tiktok that you posted was self-talk don't ever be like i fucked up i'm a piece of shit blah 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 blah. just the way the grammar the the verbiage you use to talk in your head to yourself has to be encouraging doesn't have to be like you know, Barney the Dinosaur or whatever. You did so good today, yeah. Pat. No, but that's important. <laughs> like, I do try to do that. I I mean, I'm not just yelling in the mirror for TikTok. I go and I go without my phone and I just chat with myself. And I just look in the mirror and I'm like, hey, buddy, you got up to this. Yeah. It's tough because I want to talk about some strategies for depression too. But like a big thing with depression is that you stop doing your normal routine. Mm-hmm. So I know for me... uh I don't know why I need to do this, but also I love my mom and she's great. And this was yeah. not an attack on yeah. her in case she decided on a whim to listen to a podcast, despite never listening to the other episodes of the podcast. Love you, mom. And you're yeah. the best. Love you, Mrs. Lawler. Yeah, you're the best. Uh, <laughs> what, what did I, what was I talking? Oh, depression. So you, for me, it, if I wake up in the morning and I exercise a little and I walk my dog and I have a coffee and I do morning pages and I meditate and then I, I go to work for the day and I make videos and I exercise again and I eat healthy and I don't have a lot of sugar and I drink enough water. If I do all of those things, I'm having a pretty good day. Uh, then the depression hits and I do none of those things. Mm-hmm. I did not a single goddamn one. And I'm like, hey, buddy, if you just meditated for even one minute, 
this would be better. But I'm not gonna. Instead, I'm gonna eat all the cheese. Yeah. Even though I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah. And it's going to make me bloated. And then I'm gonna stand in the mirror and I'm gonna look at my bloated flesh oh, and go, God. you did this! Oh, you did this! And then I'll just hate myself. I'm like, so like yesterday I was in just a foul mood. And I drew a little picture. And then I was like, ugh, you used to draw all the time. And now you never draw. And then finally I was like, hey, but but you did draw this. You did draw something. That's not nothing. And you ate a meal that you prepared. That's not. And I have to like remind myself that like you did get out of bed and walk your dog. And you shaved your face and you showered and like all of those seem stupid but they are something yeah and i've tried there's a a book about habits where the trying to macro habit never works because it's all about micro habits if you can get yourself to do one push-up you can get yourself to do a hundred push-ups more easily than to just i'm gonna do a hundred push-ups every day no you're not but if you go i'm gonna do a one push-up every time i get up from my video game to smoke that's more likely than doing a hundred. Like, it's just an easier time investment. And so I've been trying to do, hey, when you wake up, do a push-up. Just one. Just do the one. And then if you want to do more, go crazy. But just try to do one. And then I will reward myself. You did it. And I do mm-hmm. a little, I do like, mm-hmm. I, I, pun- I punch the air. I'm like, yeah. you did it, buddy. You did a push-up. And that builds into more. And I'm able to... um. I don't know, just get more shit done that like will help me get through the depressive episode. Because I also recognize that like a storm, it's going to pass because I've been dealing with it my whole life. I know I'm not getting enough sun and it's just the time of year and and whatever other factors, it's going to get better. Yeah. And there will be days where it's just fine and you'll be happier. And there are going to be days where you're just like, everything is sad. Yeah. Well, the, it's, you know... One thing, and especially a lot of my patients are in like early recovery and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's easy to stay sober when you're in a good mood, but then, sure. but then like randomly you'll be depressed and you're like, what the fuck? I, th- I thought I was going to be happy all the time. What the fuck is this? <laughs> and I think that's what drives a lot of people to drugs is this fact that it no matter who you are sometimes you're going to get the big sad you're just going to get it and it's life has its ups and downs and learning to not run away from it and not try to fix it is one of the biggest biggest like lessons you can learn and even now like and and the other thing too is and you sort of hinted on this is that there isn't always a reason there isn't always oh is something bothering me is you know, is, is she not texting me back? Is she blah, 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 blah. It's just sometimes you wake up and, and you're sad. And that's okay. It's okay to be like that. I also keep trying to remind people that like, and my therapist also keeps trying to remind me where I'm like, oh God, I, I didn't get anything done this week. And she's like, well, it's a pandemic mm-hmm. and you've been in your apartment for eight months and you can't do any of the stuff you <laughs> yeah, want to do. Basically. And all of the things that you... Like, because for me, I've been depressed since I moved to New York. Because I had a, a really upsetting breakup. And I've been really unpacking my war trauma in a way I've never done before. 
before it was a lot of, let me see if I can get this functional enough. And now I've been like, I'm going to try and get actually better and not just cobble together a system of, uh, of lattice work that I form around myself that I can sort of like, I'm like, no, I'm going to dig in like hard. And I've been doing some really intense there. I've been doing EMDR therapy, which is very difficult, uh, sometimes. And I tried psilocybin therapy, which I found very helpful. And I tried LSD therapy and I tried, um, MDMA therapy. Not that I'm recommending any of those unless you can do it with a doctor. I'm just saying those are things that I've tried. Dude, my mom was like, I want to try the psilocybin mushroom therapy. <laughs> and my dad was like, Hannah, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, I would love to see oh, my mom on shrooms. I want to give my mom... Oh. My mom can't handle anything. It would be hilarious to see her on Wait, when you did the psilocybin, is that like they give you shrooms and then you're like with like two therapists for four hours? That is how you are supposed to do oh. it. How did you do it? I got a buddy to watch me, and then I took a heroic dose, and then I just, like, rode it out for eight hours. And how was that? It was enlightening. Really? Well, for me, it was a big spiritual thing, and it gave me, like, an understanding, and I, a lot of it was unpacking. I'll be honest, before that trip, I was, I felt a lot differently about my, my war about the war i like i and even people noticed in my comedy i was very aggressively defend i think i'm kind of getting back to it now where i was sort of like aggressively defending what i have had been a part of and kind of being like no this is still worthy and good Mm -hmm. and uh there's a part of me i think even as i was mocking it on stage that was still like deeply in love with war yeah and then i did the the psilocybin treatment uh, treatment yeah and i had this very i i for, for there were two major takeaways for me the first was for like the first four hours was just pure euphoria yeah and i felt just incredible euphoria and i was able to see like the inner machinations of the universe and like me and god had a conversation and i was just sobbing like i understand why now and then of course all that goes away because either it's all made up or you're just not allowed to know yeah layers the word layers is all i took away from that it's all layers and I did have a distinct memory, um, which ties into my, I believe in reincarnation, but even if you don't, I think this is useful, is before I went to war, a lot of veterans I knew said to me, I know you think you want this. I know that you want to go to combat and you want to fight and you want to get into it and you want, you want the real shit, but you don't and you're wrong and you're going to regret wanting it. And then I was like, ha, fuck you. You don't know. I'm a warrior. And then they kind of sighed and were like, all right. And then you go to war and you become that veteran. Yeah, yeah. And then I distinctly remember turning to the guy behind me and being like, listen, I know you think you want this. And I, and like literally like verbatim, like, I know, I know, I know little warrior. I know that you want this so badly, but you don't. And like. People all the time on TikTok are like, hey, I'm thinking about joining the Marines. What do you, what's your advice? And I want to be like, don't go to, don't chase combat. It's a lover you will never, it will never reciprocate. Because there is a love of war and violence that I think is baked into our DNA. I mean, like, I'm playing this video game, which I want to talk about later. I'm playing 
Ragnarok, where you're a Viking pillaging through England, Oof. right? And I'm loving it. Yeah. I love going into a town and being like, yo, I'm going to fuck up everybody here. And I'm like, I'm a Viking. And it just, and I blow my Viking horn and all my Viking brothers come in and we bang each other on the chest and we're warriors. Yeah. And I love it. And I love the idea. There's still a part of me that is deeply in love with the idea of armed conflict. Even though on a like a on a level on another level I wreck even as a medic seeing the the damage it wrought, there was still something about being in the midst of it. Shit's exploding and guns are going mm-hmm. off and everyone's screaming. I deeply miss that yeah. and I want more of it. I also don't. Badly don't. It it's like being in an abusive relationship. I miss my abuser. Even though I know they're bad for me. Anytime someone tries to get me to describe the war, I'm like, I was in I was in an abusive relationship and I still love them. And it's confusing because like love isn't an emotion I think many people connect with war, although I think the poets and the and the and like the people who write about it do. I oh, think yeah. that like um Kurt Vonnegut is very good about describing that longing and also uh what's the word? Uh revulsion. And so, like, I have that in the, in my trip. I, I had that image of, like, and I kind of understood, like, for me, I think spiritually I've been fighting wars for a long time. And this is the maybe the cycle where I broke that. Uh, and from a non-spiritual standpoint, I think it's just me starting to accept that, like, the brainwashing and the the desire for war is what's keeping me from, like, fully healing. And that I need to, like really unpack that which i've been doing and then another thing that i saw in my in my psilocybin trip was that i watched myself it's like my brain forgot who i was and it like erased all memory of my own journey and i was able to watch myself from 18 till then as like a third person participant and i just walked watched a character i didn't know join the military and become a medic and try really hard to help people and beat himself up because he didn't think he was doing a good enough job and go to paramedic school and all the relationships that kind of fell apart because of the immense trauma I was carrying around. And I was able to like watch all that. And as I was, I was like, wow, I really feel for this kid. Like, oh my gosh, what a journey. And like was able to separate myself from my ego enough to be like, oh, I really love I really love this character like this is such a beautiful story he's trying so hard even though he's failing he just keeps trying and then my brain was like that's you yeah you really love yourself yeah. and I was like oh and then I just sobbed for a while yeah. <laughs> and but like being able to do that is silly and is like ridiculous as it sounds I was able to carry that with me. And now when I'm having a hard day or having a hard time, I'm a little bit able to look and be like, really try to see yourself from a third person perspective. And even though you've made horrible mistakes and even though you've hurt people, you know, just like I look at someone else and I understand that they hurt me and it wasn't their fault or I don't need to hold a grudge against them. Mm -hmm. All the people I've hurt being traumatized and just radiating trauma isn't you know isn't all my fault i i think you touched upon one thing that i've realized about myself this last year is you know i 
I did drugs and drank alcohol. Um, not because I wanted to be fucked up or whatever, but I, I just wanted to love myself. And I have found that in this past year, it's been the first time I've really addressed like the trauma and my upbringing and my critical voice. And it was very painful to go through, but there have been long stretches this past year where I truly deeply like myself for who I am. And it is the most insanely liberating feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. And I feel like that's sort of what you're talking about, where you objectively viewed a younger version of yourself, which is also something, it's like a therapy technique, especially when it was based around this period in which a lot of, you took on a lot of trauma and you had compassion for yourself. But not only that, but you saw the nobility of what you were doing and why you were motivated for it. And you... You know, the irony is like you're you're under this hallucinogenic substance, but it sounds like you finally saw yourself for who you really are for a little bit. And it was this beautiful thing. And it allowed you to feel the joy in that moment that you're normally so uncomfortable with. I think it also allowed me to stop viewing myself as like the worst aspects of... of I, I've been... Judging myself of, off of breakups and exactly. ruined friendships and my inability to work as opposed to like just who I am as a person. And I, you know, it's so hard to do that because it's so like, it's so easy to look at your job as who you are. And I did that for years. I'm a soldier. Mm. I'm a paramedic. I'm a comedian. And finally I was able to go, no, I'm just Pat. Pat's fine. Pat has done things and he's been a medic and he's, but that doesn't mean that's all I was. I've been a comedian and, uh, those labels that you use to try to fit yourself into a box. And then you're just, just judging yourself of off of, well, this is what my trauma looks like, Mm -hmm. or this is how I'm bad. Yeah. As opposed to being like, well, that's also why you're good and why people like you. Exactly. And like a lot of that trauma is, I think one of the things that is really unique about me is that because of the miasma of different conditions that I'm just violently blunt about myself in a way that most people aren't. Yes. Where they will try to hide their trauma. I'm so open about it that I'm often worried I'm revealing too much. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's largely going to work in my favor as I try to... My whole goal is to like extend the or, or improve the way people view veterans by showing an honest portrayal of my journey. And I do that. And sometimes it really hurts people. But it also, I think, helps in other ways. And I have been slowly learning to just be like, hey, Pat, you like to monologue. You really love to talk uninterrupted. That is both good and bad. Yeah. It's hard to be friends with that, but it makes me a <laughs> phenomenal performer. Yeah. And in like in, in every other way, I really gravitate towards the idea that all shadows are cast 
by like it, or, or your your talent cast shadow or your positive qualities have equally negative qualities. Exactly. Everything about you that you could say is a really good thing in some way is hindering you. And you have to like, cause like something easy, like it's good to be compassionate. Compassion. You could almost, like, it'd be pretty easy to try to argue that like compassion is a solely good thing, but being overly compassionate causes people to be completely frozen. And then you can't do anything. And then you're just a, a you're just a hot mess of like I feel so many feelings yeah. for everyone. To be too empathetic. Yeah, like me. <laughs> and and so like in all ways I think having gifts and and just positive personality traits, they cast equally destructive shadows and you can't just focus on the shadows. You have to focus mm-hmm. on both. Mhm. Exactly. Um God, I had something I wanted to say, but I totally forgot. Oh, yeah. Um, so the one thing about you that you did just mention, which I completely agree with, is you are very honest about yourself. And which, to me, being a therapist, it's like, that is 60% of the battle. Because... So many people walk around delusional. Delusional, they're not honest with themselves. They deny, they minimize, they refuse to look at what the actual problem is. And then they contort this grand scheme where it's someone else's fault, society is like this, blah, 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 blah. But I would say that... that because. Even as something as when we hung out last week and then that text you sent where you said, I feel like all I do when sometimes when we hang out is all I do is complain. And it's like even just acknowledging that is is like more than 90 percent of what most people can do. And like because I'm better than most people. Yeah, but I'm not. (laughs) But like you hear that, everybody? I'm the best in therapy. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I have no flaws. But so, so I think that, the, and you know, I think I'm very similar where I, I, I'm very honest with myself and I'm very, you know, even when I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, I was never like, oh yeah, this is fine. I was like, yeah, this is a problem. I'm coping with my problems like this. I know it's going to kill me, but whatevs. Whereas most people are in denial about it. The problem with being a person like that, though, is since everything is so clear to your eye, it can make your the qualities you don't like about yourself seem even bigger. And for me, that's like stuff like social anxiety. Um, you, you know, I, have you ever walked into a room and be like, oh, my God. I'm like so awkward. Everyone is staring at me. Every room I've ever walked into. Okay. All right. So the only time I'm comfortable is if I'm directly, if everyone's looking at me and they're laughing. This yeah. is the only time where I'm like, this is good. Yeah. I'm, I'm a good dude. Otherwise you're hypercritical of yourself. Oh God. I can't believe I walked in this room and I'm just so awkward. Oh God. <sighs> I put my backpack down weird. Everyone's going to know. I know. Oh God. They can all tell. 
whatever. Oh, God. It doesn't help that I, for the last, like, three years, was only spending time with stand-up comedians who are just depressed and socially awkward. Yeah. So it probably had nothing to do with me. I'm just walking into a room full of critical, self-critical, anxious people who are like, oh, God, me. And then I'm just like, oh, God, me. Well, the the problem with those environments is everything feels competitive. Sure. So that, and that like heightens it even more where you're like, okay, because you can't, it's not just about being funny. You got to be a good hang. Got to be a good hang. <laughs> oh man, he's so nonchalant. He doesn't even care about comedy. Like, you have to the care f- the most about comedy and, and also at same not care time, at all. It's such bullshit. It's such. God it, forbid you have feelings. It's such an environment built for people to not be genuine and i really and, like and yet they praise genuine yeah it's genuine genuine gen, 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 genuine gen, gen, gen kuye gen kuye gen kuye indeed gene gosh i wish i knew what he was referencing hey you guys made it to the end of episode one of our two-part series about depression thank you for following along if you want you could subscribe to the patreon to get even more content at patreon.com backslash warporn and uh, send us an email at warpornpodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or questions or anything you'd like to see on the podcast we love to hear from you Uh, we'll be releasing the next episode next Monday so look forward to that this week Gene and I are going to be recording Iron Giant which he has never seen and is a childhood favorite of mine. And we're also going to be doing a riff track for one of our favorite Christmas movies, Die Hard. And that's going to be a Patreon exclusive. So if that sounds cool, head over to patreon.com and sign up so you don't miss anything from the Warporn podcast. Thank you guys for sticking around and have a great night or day. I don't know when you're listening to this. I shouldn't have picked a time frame. Bye.